welcome to The Yarn. It's a podcast from and about the wool industry. I'm Marius Cumming and today it's all about sport. Sport and wool are increasingly intertwined and more people are wearing wool while active or indeed playing sport. This market is becoming a big driver for the demand for our fibre thanks in part to circular knitting technology and the development of next to skin wear but of course also the growth in superfine wool production. Now later we're going to hear from the world's largest sporting trade show called ISPO about the strong interest in our natural fibre in this market and why. So we'll get to football in a minute whether it's uh, AFL or rugby union but the most iconic item of sporting apparel in Australia is the baggy green cap worn by Australia's test cricketers and you guessed it it is made of wool always has been and AWI has partnered with Cricket Australia and Kookaburra for the Flock to Baggy Green project, where we're inviting wool growers to donate some of their precious wool towards the next batch of baggy green caps. Donations are open till the end of March, but I thought I'd catch up with one of the 200, 200 donors that we have so far. Her name is Tracy Kruger. She's a passionate wool grower from near Penshurst in Western Victoria. I've been a cricket nut uh, for about 37 years. I think I was 11 and none of my family was interested in the cricket at all and I just became a passionate cricket lover. I can remember, yeah, I was 11 or 12, I think, when Dad took me to my first game and it was one of about the best day of my life, I think. What is it about cricket that uh, you love so much? I don't know. I just, I, I just love it and I listen to it on the radio non-stop. I watch it. If it's on TV, I'll watch, I'll watch um, any game. I just adore cricket and like having it around, much you, to my uh, friend's disgust. <laughs> well, as a cricket lover myself, I, yeah, we, we get that, don't we? But uh, did you get to play a bit of cricket yourself? No, no, I wasn't. Oh, actually, I went to a tiny little primary school, Nullawarri North, and by the time I finished there, uh, I think there was only about 11 of us still attending there. So it was one of those schools where there were only a few girls, but girls played every game that the boys played because otherwise the game didn't happen. So I suppose um, I played a fair bit then, but I never, certainly never played it um at any other level. Yeah, well, it's obviously great to see women's cricket become so widespread and so popular, not just through uh, through Test cricket, but uh, the Women's Big Bash League. So what does it mean to you to have a bit of your fibre on future uh, women and men cricketers playing for Australia? Oh, it's amazing. It's just, it's that slight bit of involvement that everybody wants, that little bit of, oh, I helped, I helped with that, I contributed to that, I'm part of it. I'll never be able to play competitive cricket but just the idea that some of our wool from our sheep is um, contributing or part of that is um, is really great to me. Well uh, you're also very much a passionate uh, wool grower. You live on a, a, a mixed property that you run um, with, with your husband and he's very much the cropper and you're very much the uh, the wool grower as I take it. Oh, I'm passionate about the sheep but he actually does a very good job with his sheep. He's got beautiful sheep. The family has had um, this property since the late 1880s and so I think merinos have been run here for probably 130, 140 years and even though he's been tempted a couple of times to uh, go in different directions, the merino flock have always been constant. So your your connection to wool is a bit of a special one as well, um, given your father and also uh, given that you've uh, done a few books about farming, in particular wool. But uh, tell us a bit about your dad first. 
Uh, my dad's, oh, he's 82 next week, but he only gave up shearing after a stroke and when he was close to 70. He's, he actually had his stroke when he was in a shearing. He was waiting his turn at a shearing competition. And, yeah, I think he was 69, something like that. And he must have got a little bit overexcited, but it was actually he was in a fortunate fortunate position where it was all very fixable with dad so that's about when he really had to give up the shearing but he has shown he sure his whole life and that's how he got his own farm and um, he and I used to spend January's shearing and I'd rousey for him with the cricket on and uh, they're really happy memories of mine so everything about shearing I love I love watching a beautiful shearer I can just watch a person shear over and over and over again I never get sick of it it is quite mesmerising, isn't it? So the um, there are quite a few books about uh, wool sheds and, and shearing, but your book, Shearing in Western Victoria, is quite special because it actually traces or it, it celebrates a working wool shed. There's people in the shed, they're working, and there's a wonderful profile of, uh, what is it, how many? How 160. Many? 160. 160. 160 sheds you've visited, photographed. Uh, written about, and it's it's a it's a very popular book in uh, in Victoria, and uh, tells a bit more about it. It did take a long time to do, didn't it? <laughs> it did. It was one of those little dreams that you have, where you think, oh, I could I could maybe find a hundred wool sheds and photograph them and get some history. And I know a fair few shears and a fair few people involved in the industry. I'm going to do this. I think it's worthy. And then twenty five thousand kilometres and three. Three and a half years later, I'd visited 160 wool sheds and they're all included in the book and all they all had to be working. They couldn't be empty because I think um, the she- the actual shearers and the shearing part of the wool shed is it's what makes it a living, breathing place. And um, so they all had to be working and uh, yeah, I had a lovely time and I made some fabulous friends and, and it sold really nicely, which is great. And so what has been the feedback about it and um, what other projects have come from it afterwards? The feedback's excellent. It's, it's uh, My family laugh about it because I'll get a phone call or two, maybe even every week still, so it's four years since it first came out, and I'll get a phone call or two a week from a retired shearer or an elderly farmer or just an interested purchaser, and they'll want to tell me all about their history or all about their wool sheds or all about where they used to shear. And um, the family's very used to it now, but the feedback has been wonderful and people love that it's something that they're passionate about and they can read the book and they can tell that I'm passionate about it as well and that I think what they're doing is really important. Tracy Kruger, you can find her and her great books on Facebook and Instagram, Shearing in Victoria's Western District. As I said, donations are still open to uh, the Flock to Baggy Green project, wool.com slash baggygreen for details. We head to ISPO in Germany very soon, but beforehand, the fibre of football campaign you may have heard of in recent years, it's where the AFL has been selling woolen jumpers, scarves, gloves and beanies. This came about after a meeting of minds between AWI and Playcorp. Now, Playcorp are a company that, amongst many other things, creates and markets AFL merchandise. They also uh, sell material for the Wallabies. But anyway, from Playcorp, here is Dean Grimster. It's been a huge success. We couldn't have expected or budgeted for the success we've had. 
I think the most important thing about this is the sustainability of it and the long-term strategy we have to grow the business. This year we've seen further growth. So just going back a step, so the fibre of football came about uh, with a marriage of our content uh, from, uh, from growers around Australia and essentially your AFL uh, licence. So you sell AFL merchandise and you were looking for a wool range and we were wanting to put wool into AFL. AFL supporter gear. And so it was a really a, a perfect match. And it was probably a few years ago now, wasn't it? But it's uh, four years ago that we first made contact. And it took us six to 12 months to get the thing program up and running. And subsequently from there, it's just been something that we've evolved and developed. And the strategy around that is starting to expand. So we're moving now into other properties, working with people like the Australian Rugby Union, working with the MCG and the Melbourne Cricket Club. So we see potential for expansion to other codes. I think the context behind why we did it was a global trend around um, vintage and, again, in AFL terms, really from the inception of the sport, wool was the selected fabrication for the jumpers. So it was quite easy for us to marry the two back and actually have, again, um, something that's real and meaningful to the fans. They remember the woolen jumpers and uh, certainly the feedback we've had from fans has been nothing short of phenomenal. What's uh, been the AFL's reaction? Because uh, it was initially it was like, what what is this wool? And uh, you know they're they're a little more expensive these garments, uh, these these beanies and scarves and gloves, and the jumpers of course, and then long sleeve jumpers that are even more expensive. But it seems as though fans are willing to pay more for a higher quality garment and a higher quality product. I think we've talked about the passion of the AFL fan, and if you support a team, cost doesn't really come into the equation, whether it's a ticket to the grand final or it's a membership. Uh, fans engage and are happy to invest. From an AFL perspective, this is all new business. And in, in terms of fibre of football, it was something that no one else had ever done. So the AFL is very proud of the fact that they're actually helping engage in something that's revolutionary. Whilst it's retrospective and going backwards in terms of what we're producing, the fact that we're actually reintroducing it back into the marketplace is, is significant. And the AFL are very pleased with the results. Now in 2018, again, you're pushing, um, pushing the boundary with... Uh, a women's range, and yes. you put a lot of effort, a lot of work, a lot of theory, a lot of strategy into this, because I understand from what, what you've been telling us over some time, women don't necessarily engage and don't buy um, AFL gear much, so you've no. had to rethink things a little bit. Well, we, we actually undertook a research about what ladies would like to wear to the football. The feedback was incredibly interesting. It actually said we want colour, we want comfort, we want warmth, and that three criteria is very easy to manufacture a product in wool, so we've really developed a, a strategy around scarves, beanies and gloves for ladies to wear to the football. Already the initial reaction has been sensational and we're looking forward to the next uh, 6 to 12 months to actually grow that and expand it and make it more available to people. And that's our challenge, to make it more available. Also, the products are quite different. They're, they're, they're not uh, heavily branded. They're no. very subtle. Um, the colours are a little more subtle. Um, yeah, but the colour is the key. So if you're a Richmond supporter, you're going to wear black and hopefully with some yellow on it. Or if you're a Melbourne supporter, it's going to be navy and red. Um, they don't need, they don't want a product that calls out the brand. It's a fashion statement. They're going to wear black because they brag for Collingwood. They want a black and white scarf. Branding is irrelevant. Everyone knows it's Collingwood. They know they're at the football barracking for Collingwood. So when you say it's not uh, as heavily branded, but it's still the colour, do you, do you mean that it doesn't have magpies or it has uh, it has Richmond a, Tigers written all over it? It has a logo the size of a 20-cent piece saying Collingwood Football Club. Right. And that's what the fans in research want. Yeah. So it's quite different from men and, um, and perhaps we're younger a little, fans. We're a little more loud and proud. <laughs>
All right. Well, um, Dean, thank you very much for joining us uh, on the podcast. It's been an amazing journey so far. Best of luck in 2018. And uh, we look forward to uh, being able to, to roll out to wool growers the opportunity to uh, to buy women's gear as well as, uh, as, as what's currently on the market. And let me say what a supportive organisation AWI and Woolmark have been to our business. And we're looking forward to extending the relationship in the future. So thank you for your help. Terrific. Look forward to it. Thanks. No The biggest sporting trade show in the world is called ISPO in Germany. Wool has been represented there for many years and for many of those by this man, Lars Olversund. The trend towards wool or merino um, perhaps started uh, is started sort of 10-15 years ago. Uh, but the real takeoff has been the last five years and, and at this time point in time, I can say that almost all outdoor brands have some kind of wool presence in their collections. Not everyone, but um, the, the vast majority. Uh, and what we can see now is that with outdoor as being the, the initial step, it's now moving over to more high-intensity sports activities like running, biking, tennis, uh, cross-country skiing where synthetics has been the only option up to now, but that is changing. So what excited you at ISPO this year? I mean, you've been going there for, for many years. Um, what was there this year that uh, was a little different and uh, excited you? There are new products, new innovations in, in wool, of course, and, and the, the optimum woven quality in wool that we introduced a couple of years ago still keeps on, on having successes. And one uh, Northern European company this year won three awards based on, on the very same 100% wool jacket uh, because of sustainability uh, echo awards uh, in that area. Uh, so that's, um, that's very reassuring to see. Uh, the other thing is that the feedback from people we met, the visitors we, we exhibited there, was very positive uh, all over. And... They are looking to extend the use of uh, wool in their collections and develop new products based on wool. Did anyone say that wool's too expensive? I mean, we've seen a, a dramatic rise in the price of wool over the last 18 months. Was anyone saying, look, it's getting too expensive, we're going back to synthetics? I'm sure that there were people there thinking in those terms, but no one mentioned that at all. The wool the high wool prices was recognized, recognized, but no one complained about it. They are that's the way it is, and we have to deal with it. And uh, it didn't seem to have a negative impact at all. The brands that you've been working with for well, well over a decade now, what are they wanting from the Australian wool industry? Are they looking for better traceability? Are they looking for better accountability through animal welfare? What are the issues that? What are the conversations you have with the people that you know really well from these? these companies? Well, if we start with the elephant in the room, there were no comments whatsoever to me about mulesing. Not uh, one? Not one. Uh, it's moved over to, I mean, it's, it's incorporated there, but it seems like everyone who wants non-mules products have their supply chain in order, and, and that's done and dusted. Uh, what the concerns are today, it's about sustainability. And it's uh, 
it's all about the microplastics that was a big issue and the, the, the pollution of the oceans. There are groups and supported by, amongst others, the German government, Angela Merkel, to start research on how to overcome this. Uh, it's a sad story, of course, but uh, in that it's very positive for, for wool because it's biodegradable. Woolen sport expert Lars Olversund, and I hope you've enjoyed this sports episode of The Yarn. If you're interested in donating to the Flock to Baggy Green, head to wool.com slash baggygreen for details. Also, I didn't mention where you can find the, uh, the AFL gear. That can be found at Shop AFL. Uh, look, if you have any suggestions about what you'd like to hear on The Yarn, send them to theyarn at wool.com. Uh, but from me, Marius Cumming, thanks for joining us and we look forward to your company again soon. Mm-hmm.